studying the book of Philippians. And uh, I commended to you last week that Paul's primary concern, even as he's writing, uh, isn't to correct the Philippians. It's not to scold them for something they believe wrongly. It's to encourage them in their walk with the Lord, to encourage them to be joyful. And, And he shares his joy with them in the way that he writes. How many of you, did you take time to count how many times Paul talks about rejoicing or being thankful or God's grace in the book of Philippians this week? Anybody do that in your 110? Yeah, a handful of you did. And and if you would study it, you'd come up with, depending on your translation, 22, 23, 24 times that Paul mentions ultimately God's grace, either in rejoicing or in thankfulness or just God's grace. And, and that's the premise of our series as we study the book of Philippians. I've been praying for you this week that, that God would help you to choose to rejoice, to choose joy in the midst of hard circumstances. And what's curious, I don't know about you, but when you start to pray for some of those things, circumstances usually get hard. <laughs> and God says, okay, here you go. You can try it out. And, and that was my week. A, a, a lot of calls from the hospital this week, a lot of people who are sick, a lot of uh, people who just needed to talk. And, and it's my choice. Am I going to choose to rejoice or am, or am I going to just be grumpy because my schedule didn't go the way I planned it to go? It's my choice. How'd you do choosing this week? We, we defined what it means to rejoice. Do you remember? Did you memorize it yet? Hopefully you can memorize it if you haven't. To choose to rejoice means to dwell on God's grace, to dwell on his grace, to think about it, to ponder it, to meditate on it. What is God's grace? Well, grace is when I get what I don't deserve. You ever get what you don't deserve? Somebody's kind to you, you get something, you don't deserve that, but that's what you got. That's God's grace. His mercy is the flip side of the coin when I don't get what I do deserve. God's grace is when I get what I don't deserve. And the ultimate grace that I receive from him is his son, Jesus. The ultimate grace, the ultimate thing I don't deserve that I get from God is salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's not just to dwell on God's grace. It's to let it define my life so that all my life is defined by God's grace. I find my identity in Jesus Christ and his grace defines me. So that means the way I interact with other people the, the way I conduct my schedule, the way I, I do everything, it's defined and it shows God's grace. Defined by God's grace. Even the way I talk to myself about myself. Oh, you no good. Blah, blah. You know, I get on myself about stuff. No, 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 no. Uh, do I sin? Yes. Do I need to repent? Yes. But primarily in God's eyes, because of his grace, I'm a saint, not a sinner. And so when I dwell in his grace and let it define my life, I start to live the life he's told me to live. And one of the things that I do in that then is I revel in it. I sit and dwell on God's grace. I let it define my life. How? By reveling in it. Remember what it means to revel? 
There were kind of two definitions I gave you right out of the dictionary. One is to, to be loud and joyful and boisterous with singing and dancing. It was part of the definition. Another way I revel is just to, to get pleasure from. So reveling can mean sitting quietly as well. It can mean just thinking on God's grace and reveling in his love and his grace and his kindness toward me when I don't deserve any of it. Now, why would I revel? Why would I do that? Because it supersedes any and every other thing. God's grace supersedes any and every other thing. There's nothing that compares to it. No other joy that compares to the joy of God's grace. There's, there's, there's no other sorrow that is really ultimately, eternally that big of a sorrow when I consider God's grace to me. Is it still painful? Does it still hurt? Yeah, it hurts. It still hurts a lot. But it's temporary because I'm reveling in God's grace. I have my eyes set on the future, not the now. And I told you there's a difference between joy and happiness. There's a difference. Do you remember what it was? Happiness is when my focus is on what? My happenings. You know how I find happiness? I just focus on what's happening. Hey, yesterday was my birthday. I I got some gifts from my wife. I got a lot of messages from many of you on Facebook. It was a happy day. A lot of good things happening for me. I was happy. It was a good thing. But today is not my birthday. I haven't gotten any messages on my Facebook wall today. I haven't gotten any presents today. I guess my life stinks. Right? Like if I focus on what's happening, then I get happiness. But, but joy is not happiness. Happiness is dependent on my happenings. Joy is focused on God's grace to me. So that even on the days I don't get a message on Facebook, guess what? I still have God's grace. And I can still be joyful. Even the day somebody slanders me or speaks ill of me or everything just goes wrong. The days I screw up, I can still be joyful because I know I have God's grace to me. Happiness is focused on my happenings. Joy is focused on God's grace. And there's a huge difference. And want me to throw a big wrench in it for you? If you have joy in the Lord, you can be happy. Why? Because now all my happenings are focused on God's grace. And so now I can be happy. Whoa, I just threw you for a loop, didn't I? But are you choosing joy? Are you choosing it? It's a choice that we make to dwell on God's grace and let it define me. To revel in it, knowing it supersedes any and every other thing. R.C. Sproul, one of the the sharpest minds in the Christian faith, he says, he, he thinks for the Christian not to be joyful might even be sinful if we don't choose to be joyful. I thought that's a profound statement. Because in the midst of any and every situation, we have Jesus Christ, we have God's grace. Well, this morning, we're gonna see the example of the Apostle Paul. We're gonna see it every morning for the next few weeks, next couple months, of, of, of Paul choosing joy in the midst of circumstances that don't compare to my circumstances this week. Probably not to yours either. Yet he chooses joy. It's phenomenal. 
So with that, let me pray. Then we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 1, and we'll work through the text together. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you for him. Thank you for your grace to me through him. Thanks for teaching me to keep my eyes focused on him and and focused on his grace and not my situation, not my circumstance, not my, my happenstance. And seek mere happiness, but seek joy because of your grace to me. Choosing even in the midst of sorrow and pain to rejoice. Father, I pray that that would uh, become ingrained deeply into each of our hearts. Because I believe it's, it's part of what you desire for us. In fact, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's part of the way we ought to live our lives. It ought to define us, our joy. Holy Spirit, I pray then this morning you would encourage us as we look at the example of Paul. Help us to consider our own circumstances, our own hardships, and not, not, not just cast them off and, and discard them, but, but look at them with the right perspective, knowing that uh, ultimately you're, you'll use this for our good and for our joy, and because of that we can choose to rejoice, knowing you're still in full control. As we sang, this is your world. Let us never forget. I pray against the enemy who loves to steal our joy, who loves to remind us of our sin, who loves to remind us of our failures, who loves uh, to remind us of all the things that would steal our joy. But instead, give us grace to choose joy, to choose to rejoice. Teach us this morning from your word that it may not return void, but, but turn our hearts to joy. We love you. I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. Philippians chapter 1. Last week, we introduced uh, the letter to the Philippians from the Apostle Paul. And uh, in those first few verses, those first 11 verses, Paul was really focused on the people he was writing to. If you remember, he said, grace and peace to you. He said, uh, what God has began in you, he'll continue. I'm confident of that. He, he, He thanked them for their partnership in the gospel and in spreading the gospel and giving to him and caring for him and As we get to to verse 12, now we start to see Paul talk about his situation. We start to see Paul turn his focus from the people he's writing to and that greeting towards himself and towards his his own situation and is likely what was the concern of the people he was writing to for him. The thing they really wanted to hear from Paul, how's it going? Are, Are you free yet? How'd the trial go? Do they still have you in chains? Have you been able to connect with the church? What's God been doing? Tell us. And that's what we see starting in verse 12 from Paul. He writes this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? What has happened to me, keep that in mind. Because what we're going to see when we look at Paul's life is Paul's life is not unlike ours. Have you ever noticed that a lot of times you see God's leading and you see his sovereignty and you see his grace so that you could revel in it, not in the windshield looking straight ahead, but in the rearview mirror looking backwards at your life. That sometimes even in the moment, I don't always see God's grace to me, even though it's evident, but even in the way that he leads me. But, but I tell you what, when I look back at my life and I look how things have gone and the, the circumstances and how they've unfolded, I know 
boy, God's grace is so evident in my life. Because if, if I hadn't made that decision, if I hadn't endured that hardship, if, if, that had, if that horrible thing had never happened, God would have never brought me here. God wouldn't have used that to shape me into the, the man or the woman that he's shaping me to become. At that, I had no clue that's what he was doing. But praise be to God, that's what he was doing. That's his grace. And Paul says, because what has happened to me has really served, so keep that in mind, has really served to advance the gospel. We're going to talk about what has happened to Paul. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's writing from chains. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, Paul says, I what? Rejoice. Rejoice. I rejoice. Let's review Paul's circumstances. Let's look at what has happened to him. We're not going to turn there, but if you want to read through it, I would encourage you on your own maybe this week. It would give you a, a whole new perspective of the way Paul's writing, starting in Acts chapter 21, verse 17. You can read about all that has happened to Paul. Let me give you a summary. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, first of all, for preaching about Jesus in Acts chapter 21. Now, this was after the fact that we saw last week he would have been arrested where? In Philippi, when he was planting the church there. And he had been beaten and and, and tortured and put in the stocks. And yet he sang joyfully while he was in prison. It's amazing. Well, he ends up in prison again. Later in Jerusalem, after he was imprisoned there, he was transferred to the coast, to the area of Caesarea, where he spent two more years in prison and and a couple different appearances before leaders and magistrates in that area where eventually he appeals his case to Rome because he's a Roman citizen. And he appeals his case to Rome and he's, he's hopeful he can get to Rome and appear before Caesar to hear his case because he believes, hey, I've, I've done nothing wrong. This is all, and, and it's true. It was, all, uh, it, was, it was all conspiracy against him by the, the Jewish leaders of that time, if you read about it in Acts 21, that got him thrown into prison to begin with. They accused him of starting a riot and of all kinds of other crazy things that happened. And he hadn't done any of it. In fact, he's a, he's a Roman citizen. He deserves a fair trial, and he appeals his case to Caesar. Well, finally, after a couple years, he makes his way to Rome. And uh, he gets on a ship. They sail to Rome. You can imagine he spent a couple years of his life in prison now, probably not the most pleasant years of his life, right? So he gets on a ship, which in those days, it wasn't Royal Caribbean. It wasn't Carnival. I mean, it, it it, it was like Pirates of the Caribbean, maybe. And he takes off and he goes on the ship and as a prisoner, it's unlikely he saw the light of day on the ship. And then what happens? Shipwreck. Good times. 
It's one of those cruises where everybody gets sick and the power goes out. And they're shipwrecked and they crash onto shore. And then what happens when he's there? He's bit by a poisonous snake. Not a big deal. Life just keeps getting better. And he stays on the island of Malta for about three months before finally they get off the island and they make their way to Rome. Paul had always planned to go to Rome. Did you know that? You can read about it in Romans chapter 1, verse 10. He writes to them, to the church in Rome, and he says, it's my desire that I can get to you quickly. He, he, he had every desire and every heart to come and encourage the believers there and to care for them. And he had, Paul was a church planter. He wasn't content to just sit and, and you know, care for, I mean, he was a driven type A personality. They talk personality test, high D off the charts, right? And Paul's driven to plant churches and to be on mission. And, and he had his sights set on expanding the footprint of the church, specifically to the West. He wanted to get to Spain. He, he wanted so much to get to Spain to preach the gospel. And he was going to go from Jerusalem. He was going to make his way through Rome. And then he was going to get to Spain and plant a church. And he, he wanted to come to Rome as a preacher. But how does he show up in Rome as a prisoner? His plans were thwarted. You ever have your plans put on hold? You make some really good plans for your life, don't you? And you got it all laid out. You know exactly what's going to happen. How many of you, those plans that you made for your life turned out, boy, I had it down. I knew it. I knew that's how it was going to go. I don't see a hand raised. Pat, you're the exception. But, but we, don't, we don't see that very often, right? God tends to change our plans. And maybe some things still go the way we had kind of hoped. And God's given us those desires. But we had no idea that the route would be this way instead of this way like we had planned. Paul still got to Rome. But not in the way that he ever expected. Paul... By choosing to rejoice in the midst of this, though, what we're going to see is that we're going to see two things. Because he said, in all of this, I, I, I rejoice. He says it right after it. We'll see it right at the start next week. Yes, I will rejoice. By his choosing to rejoice, we see a couple things. In the midst of his circumstances, God used his circumstances, number one, to make the gospel more widely known. Number one, God, by Paul choosing to rejoice, God used his circumstances to make the gospel more widely known. Could you have blamed Paul if he had all these plans for ministry, had all these plans for what he wanted to do, if, if he had just become bitter, kind of quiet, just kind of bide his time? Okay, I guess I'll wait. I don't know what God's doing here, but this isn't the way I planned it. I don't know why I have to wait to get to Rome. What is it for you? I don't, I don't know why I have to wait to have children. I don't know why I have to wait to get the job that I want. I don't know why I have to wait. I don't know why I'm on this path. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why they got sick. I don't know. What is it? So easy for Paul. He could have chosen not to rejoice, but he could have, he could have chosen that type of an attitude. 
all I do, God, is serve you. All, all, imagine Paul, if this would have been Paul. All, all I do is serve you. All I do is I give my life to you. I've been beaten. I've been persecuted. I go to Jerusalem. And what happens? Again. Again. And I'm thrown in prison. I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. They just they conspired. You led me here. Your, your Holy Spirit led me here. Why? To be beaten? Really? That, that's your idea. I, I had plans for you. I had things I wanted to accomplish for you. I was going to go to Rome. I was going to preach. I, I was going to go to Spain. I was going to plant churches. This isn't what I planned. And he could have sat and sulked in prison for years. He could have gotten on the ship, and when, the, when it came to, to shipwreck, instead of surviving, and, and that's a miraculous story in itself. If you read through the end of the book of Acts, I won't get into it, but it could have been really easy for him to just say, you know what? Forget this. I'm, I'm just jumping. I'm not going to fight. I'm just going to drown. It's about time this is over. He gets bit by the snake. Same thing. He, he gets to Rome, and now he's still in prison waiting, and he could have come, become, become bitter, depressed, angry. But he didn't. What did he do? He chose to rejoice. How does he do this? His eyes aren't on his happenings. His eyes are on God's grace. And you know where he sees God's grace most of the time? Not right here, but back there. He saw God's grace how the last time when when he was in prison, a previous time in Philippi, that because of that imprisonment, God, God shook the jail, broke his chains. And what happened? A jailer, a man of influence, is saved, and not only him, but his whole household. And a man whose heart was probably pretty hard, who had tortured him, is now soft. And that would have never happened if Paul hadn't been in chains. He, he looks back and goes, that's God's grace. I'm going to focus on that. This, this is awful. If I, if I dwell too much on this, and you know what? I think there's probably times Paul did. In fact, when you read in his letter to the Corinthians, he, he, he had a thorn in his flesh. We're not told what it was. Was it, a, was it a physical ailment? Was it depression? Was it some kind of, of, of attack of the enemy? What was it? We don't know. But when his focus was there, and he's like, God, just please take this away, take this away, take this away. God says, no, my grace is sufficient. Keep your eyes on my grace. You'll make it through. Trust me. Trust me. If you don't believe me, look in the rearview mirror. You've seen my grace over and over. I haven't changed. Keep your eyes on me. So look what happens then. Because of Paul choosing to rejoice, God used his circumstances to make the gospel more widely known. See, look what he writes in verse 13. Actually, I'll start in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Advance there is a military term. To advance means it's kind of like the, the engineers in the army would go out and clear a path for the rest of the army to come through. And, and Paul was focused on advancing the gospel. Like I said, he wanted to get to Spain. And he says, so that, see, what has happened to me? All this stuff that's happened, the, the, the false imprisonment, the, the two years in prison, the the shipwreck, the snake bite, the, all that pain, the imprisonment now. I know you feel bad about it, 
trust me, God's used it to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. My imprisonment is is for Christ. See, again, Paul wasn't, he didn't get to stop just briefly to, to care for the church in Rome. He was there as a prisoner in chains. He didn't get to choose where he was heading next. He was just there. And Paul arrives, as I mentioned, in chains. He's under the custody of the Roman imperial guard. But notice he's not complaining. This guard, in case you're wondering, it consisted of about 9,000 elite soldiers, the Roman imperial guard did. And they were known uh, both for their military skill and for their loyalty to Caesar. And they served as a personal security force for the emperor. And what would happen when a valuable prisoner was brought in chains, what that's referring to is that one of these elite guards, the Navy SEALs, were actually handcuffed, chained in a sense, Now, whether it was handcuffs or just a chain between them, I don't know exactly. But they were chained 24-7 to the prisoner. There was always one of the elite guard, one of the imperial guard chained to the prisoner. And they would go on six-hour shifts to where you're with them for six hours, and then there'd be a switch, and there'd be a new guard for six hours. And after six hours, a, a, a third guard for six hours. And after another six hours, a fourth guard for six hours. And this is Paul's life now. For quite a while in Rome, really likely till the end of his life. Paul could have complained, right? Oh, this is awful. This is so frustrating. What's he do? Paul's like, you're with me for six hours, huh? You heard about Jesus. And guess where that guy could go? Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. Paul had a captive audience. And my guess is that over time, Paul starts to develop a relationship with these guys. And if it's the same four every day, or even if it's, you know, more like eight, nine, ten, who swap in and out over the course of a week, Paul suddenly starts to share, share and spend time with them where um, he learns about their family. He, he learns about their suffering. He learns about their heartache. And notice he's doing it not with just random run-of-the-mill people. He's doing it with the elite force in the Roman Imperial Guard. With guys who had access to the ruler. Who had a great commitment to Caesar. And suddenly now, there's an influence for the gospel in a place that it would have never taken root if all these things hadn't happened to him. If Paul hadn't chose to rejoice, if Paul hadn't chosen to focus not on his circumstances, but on God's grace, the gospel would never have been advanced like it was. Imagine that. That's why he writes in verse 13. So it's become known through, people started talking about, dude, have you been chained to Paul yet? You're in for a trip if you do. Just, just listen and sit, sit tight. You'll make it. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
it's amazing. That would have never happened if Paul hadn't chosen to rejoice. There's a second thing that happens because of Paul's choice to rejoice in the midst of his circumstances. Number two, by Paul choosing to rejoice, God used his circumstances to encourage others. To encourage others. He writes, he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. To speak the word isn't preach the word. It's a different word. It's not preach. It's, it's not get up in front of 100, 200, 300 people and proclaim the gospel. It's just, let's talk about it. They became bold because they became encouraged because they saw Paul, a guy who had every right to whine and complain and be bitter and depressed, not be. And they saw him instead choose to rejoice. And they saw him instead use his circumstances as an opportunity to dwell on God's grace while somebody else listened. See, God used the circumstances to encourage others, and in doing so, he making them more confident in their faith and more bold in their witness. Because now they're encouraged by Paul's example, and now they're more confident when they face up. I mean, do you, do you know why people are put in prison? Why are people put in prison? You do something wrong, Jesse, why would we lock you up? So that Zach doesn't do it. So he sees what happens to you, and he goes, I'm not doing that. Look what happened to Jesse. Yet what happens with the church in Rome? It didn't work that way, did it? They became more bold. They became more bold. And they said, Paul did that. <laughs> I can do that. Let me tell you about Jesus. And somebody else, let me... T- Whenever a spiritual leader throughout history begins to be oppressed in this way because of their faith and speaking out, guess what happens? The rest of the church rallies. It happens over and over throughout history. And it's happening here. If Paul hadn't chosen to rejoice, if he hadn't kept his mind focused on God's grace, if he, if he hadn't uh, let it define who he was in the midst of the imperial guard, if he hadn't uh, reveled in it, knowing that it superseded whatever circumstances. And now, nobody would have been bold. Nobody else would have been encouraged. Nobody else would have been confident in their faith because they would have looked and they would have said, hey, look at Paul. Uh, Yeah, he gave up too. I guess I'll give up. Pray for me. Pray for Stephen. Pray for Dan. Pray for your leaders, your elders and deacons, that we'd be bold. The reality is, I think those days of opposition are coming quickly to the church. Quickly in North America. They're on our doorstep. They're coming quickly. Pray for me. Now, Jesus says not to worry about what you'd say in those times, that the Holy Spirit will help you in that. You read about it in, in Luke and Matthew, but pray that I'd be bold so that you'd be confident in your faith and encouraged to speak with more boldness. But again, if Paul hadn't kept his focus on God's grace, none of this would have happened. 
And in fact, here's what happens. He goes on and he talks about um, verses 15 and 17. Some indeed, they're so bold. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. See, some people, you'll, you'll see this over and over as you suffer and as you rejoice. You'll have some people who are good friends to you in your suffering and support you. And there's others who are just critics. Paul faced the same thing. He he had those who who preached the gospel out of love for him. They they wanted to share in his chains. They wanted to encourage him. And they were bold because he was bold. And there were others who, maybe it went something like this. Have, Have you seen this guy, Paul? Boy, I know he means well, but why doesn't he just keep his mouth shut? I mean, why does he have to make life so tough for the rest of us? Boy, there's got to be a wetter way for him to spread the gospel than the way that he did. It's kind of a shame that he's thrown in prison, isn't it? And they still, he rejoiced because they're still preaching the gospel. They still preached Christ, but they did it out of envy and of rivalry, forwarding their own ministry rather than doing it out of love to support Paul. We see that all the time today when different leaders are criticized. We can see it in our own church when we criticize leaders in our church. Yet Paul rejoices. I think Paul was still probably hurt by that, don't you suppose? I mean, he was, a, he, he was a man. He had feelings. He had to be hurt by that. He had to be. Yet he chooses to rejoice, which tells me that the gospel they were preaching wasn't a false gospel because other times when people preach a false gospel, Paul's all over them. I mean, he is all over it. He wouldn't authorize that at all. But, but here he says he chooses to rejoice. Why? Because what then? Well, in any, whatever the case, whether pretense or in truth, Christ is being preached. And in that, I rejoice. Grace is being preached. And in that, I rejoice. People are hearing about Jesus and his love for them. And in that, I rejoice because that's what I've experienced. That's what I know. Paul chose it in the midst of some really tough hardship and circumstances because he saw the gospel advancing. He saw God's grace on the move. I've said it over and over, but again, imagine if Paul's thoughts and Paul's attitude and Paul's heart had been focused only on his happenings and not on God's grace. I don't think we'd be studying the letter to the Philippians today. I don't think we'd have most of the New Testament that we have today. God would have used someone else to write it. And it begs the question, doesn't it? Where's my focus? It begs the question, where is my focus? Is it on the here and now and the happenings of this day, this week, this month, this year? Because if that's where my mind is, let me tell you. I have and you have, all of us have, lots of reasons just to be down in the dumps. And to be frustrated and to be sad and to be bitter. Tons of really legitimate reasons. So is my focus on that or is it on the cross? Is it on Jesus Christ? Is it on his grace? And do I let that define my life so I can 
push my bitterness to the side and be healed so I can look in the rearview mirror and know, okay, God was faithful to me there. He'll be faithful to me in this. So I keep my eyes forward. Where's your focus? That's part of how you choose to rejoice, loved ones. So I'll continue praying for you in that. You continue praying for me in that, amen? And when we sing here in a little bit, we're gonna sing in light of not this, our circumstances that we find ourselves in, but in the cross. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Thank you that uh, in the midst of of life that is sometimes so hard and, and, and sometimes makes so little sense and that is so full of suffering, suffering that... Uh, that we cause for ourselves, suffering that others cause for us, suffering that just seems to be out of the blue, that we don't even know where it comes from. That in the midst of it, you're in control. That in the midst of it, you're sovereign. In the midst of it, you're good to us. And that in the midst of us, we're faced with a choice, whether we focus on that or whether we focus on Jesus and, and your grace. Father, help us to choose grace. Help us to choose Jesus. Help us choose to rejoice. Not because it's easy. Because it's hard. But because we look in the rearview mirror of our lives and we see your grace to us there, we know you'll bring us through again and we can have great hope and confidence in that. Father, I pray for those who've never trusted you, who've never become a Christian. I pray that today they would turn to your grace that they would see Jesus uh, paying the penalty for them on the cross, that they would uh, repent, which means just to turn from their sin and turn away from their way, Jesus, to you. That they'd be saved and that they would be able to experience your grace and let it define them and revel in it, knowing it supersedes any and every other thing. Lord, we love you. Thanks that you loved us first. It's your grace. We pray all this through Jesus. Amen.